Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Richmond Kai Alpha. We are in our sermon series titled Transformed? Question mark? How the how the change to make a change. And this week we have our own Reverend Ashley Granados as she uh, preaches on how the follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. May you guys continue to be blessed. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Let's breathe the word, Pastor. (laughs) Don't do that, don't do that. I'll go to God, I'll go to God. (laughs) You guys are so funny. I'm dead. Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Awesome. Let me start my timer. <laughs> you guys are too fun. Wow, thank you so much. I love you guys so much, and it's so fun to be here. And <laughs> sorry, whoever made that noise was crazy. Um, but I'm just really excited to be here and share amongst friends, amongst family. Um, but before I forget, don't forget to take notes um, and write your questions down. If you weren't here last week, uh, during this series, we are going to be collecting your questions so that at the end of the series in a couple weeks, we're going to do a Q&R. And so we want to know what your questions are in anticipation for that. So I think that'll be on this. Oh, there it is. Now and probably at the end of service where you can just make a note of your questions as we go. Okay, cool. Okay, so has anyone seen um, that SNL skit where Obama has a translator? Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that was so good. I was going to play it, but I was like, I can't play that clip in church. But um, I feel like sometimes Gen Z needs a translator like that, right? With Yvonne and my small group, I sometimes need a translator. But um, I don't know. How many of you, when you tell a story, sound like this or know somebody who sounds like this? Ready? They're like, oh, my God, I literally can't today. My physics professor is literally the worst. He's literally Satan. And last time I was, on, I was in his class, I literally was going to die. I literally felt my soul leave my body and ascended to heaven as I passed away. And I literally spent every hour of every day studying. And I, he's literally failing me on purpose because he literally hates my guts. And he wants to see me fail. And I can't, and if I don't pass this class, my parents are going to literally kill me. But, like, your, your Gen Z translator would be like, oh, man, like, I have physics class today. <laughs> physics can be hard. I did not study. My parents wish I would try a little harder. <laughs> and, like, that's what you meant to say. But, you, you know what I mean? You sell this extra stuff. And I sit there when someone tells a story, and I think, do you know what the word literally means? <laughs> because if you did, you literally would not use it as excessively as you do. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> Something similar happens also when, like, the average American Christian or average American calls themselves a Christian. (laughs) Has anyone seen The Princess Bride? You know that scene where Inigo Montoya goes, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) That's right. So have you ever met someone who says they're a Christian, 
But it clearly means something different to them than it does to you, no matter what that looks like. And we all already do come with our own preconceived notions of what it means to be a Christian based off our upbringing or our denominational background or our culture. Um, but maybe you meet somebody who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just hate people in church, so I don't go. Like, I don't believe I need other people. Or, or I think, or I'm a Christian, but I just think the mandate to be holy is legalism. I can get drunk sometimes. I'm not hurting nobody. I can sleep with my partner. It's not like I'm going to go to hell over it. <laughs> or I'm a Christian, but I don't think Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible is really more of a suggestion of how to be a good person more than anything else. They relax. No, <laughs> or, or maybe the other extreme of that. Right, looks like, well, if you're not my denomination and if you don't worship the way that I worship, um, then you're not a Christian, period. Or maybe, maybe somebody comes to mind when you think of one of these examples. Hopefully not, but I will say before you judge them, right, and think, wow, somebody else needs to be here and listen to this message because that's not me. I, you know, want to challenge you to wait, wait a couple minutes because I think that there are just some more subtle ways does this exact same thing, the same issue show up in our own lives? And so we're continuing through our series that we're calling Transformed? Question mark? That was intentional, that question mark. <laughs> because we often can look at our lives and wonder, am I any different than I was before I started following Jesus? But tonight we're going to be exploring the question, uh, maybe more accurately, do I look more like Jesus now that I'm following Jesus? Because we're all being transformed. And so I think the question then is, what or who around me am I being transformed by? And as a Christian, what does this look like in my life and to the other people who are around me? And I'm not trying to be a cynic. I genuinely believe that each one of us is here because of a true and earnest desire to follow after the God that's revealed in the Bible. And yet we're faced with this challenge of both trying to walk with Jesus, but also living in a culture that has its own motives, so many of which are completely counter to that of Jesus, when we have that working against us. And so it's easy for us to begin to create this kind of third way of living that's like half Bible, half American Christian context, and we kind of make our third way, right? And it ends up looking something like this. When we put our faith in Jesus and follow him, we're signing up for the good life. And as God's children, we're blessed. And so if you believe in Jesus, you're not going to struggle, never have financial issues, or be a victim of evil, injustice, sickness, and disease. Or God's goal for you is to be happy, right? It's for us to feel good about ourselves, and God is here to help us achieve our dreams. We, in essence... Americanize Jesus and his gospel. And so maybe you as a college student, it's the idea that your major is where you find your purpose in. Or if I get this internship, then I will be on the road to success. Or if I join this group, then I will finally get the recognition that I deserve. And God is going to help me get there. I'm not proposing that God doesn't care about you or doesn't want to bless us because he does. Or that he's not there in the decision-making because he is. But following Jesus is about so much more than just what we get from him. 
Pete Schizero, in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, suggests that it is possible to be Christ-centered, but not cross-centered. To be Christ-centered is to be captivated by Jesus as a triumphant Savior who offers us an abundant life with a greater sense of power and influence in our lives. To be cross-centered is to follow Jesus as a Savior who embraced the cross, making that the pattern of our lives and our leadership. And so we cannot simply embrace the good parts about following Jesus and not also embrace the cross that he died on. So we're going to read about that today in the book of Matthew. That's the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 16, and it'll be up on the screen for you as well. But beginning in verse 21, it says this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. Then Jesus said to his disciple, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And so Jesus is letting his disciples know more about his plan, um, God's plan for Jesus' life. And Peter says, no, Jesus, you will never suffer. That cannot be part of God's plan for you. And maybe Peter is scared for Jesus as a friend, or maybe it's just not fathomable that God would allow him to suffer in this way. Because in Peter's perspective, he, he doesn't need to. He, didn't, he can choose not to go to the cross. And Jesus responds really harshly, right? And he says, get away from me, Satan, you're a dangerous trap. And this makes me think of earlier in Jesus' ministry, right at the beginning, when he is, Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And one of the ways that the devil tries to tempt Jesus is by telling him, if he bows down to him, he will give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. It's a kingdom without the cross. And what Peter is suggesting is the same. You do not need to suffer on the cross, Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him and says, this is another trap. You are thinking merely from a limited human perspective, not God's perspective. And so it's not that Jesus is minimizing suffering. On the night he's betrayed, he is in anguish over what's about to happen to him. And in the same story in John's gospel, Jesus says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came. Because what Jesus knows is that the one who needs the cross is us. He's saying, Peter, you cannot see it, but I'm going to die for you. We are the ones who need the cross. The whole world already belongs to him. But Jesus came for this reason. Our relationship with God was broken 
because of the ways we choose not to love him. We try to do our things in our own way, and a result of that is it ends up in selfishness and destruction and evil. And God, in his mercy, comes in the form of his very creation, the one that rejects him, to give his life on our behalf to pay for all of the wrong and evil that we have done and we do and we will do. And he's reconciled us back to himself, being both just and merciful. And now he calls us sons and daughters who share an inheritance with Jesus in heaven. And that's what's at stake here. That's what Satan wants to destroy in this moment and what Peter fails to see in that merely human point of view. But Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endures the cross. Peter acknowledges Jesus as the Christ, as his Savior, but not as the suffering servant. And Jesus, knowing the weightiness of what he was asked to do, tells his followers, if you really want to follow me, you will have to pick up your cross as well. And he doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. But he says, to follow me, you will need to let go of your old way of living, your old way of thinking about what life is about, and let those things die. Because if you try to hold on to your way, you will still lose it in the end. But if you let go of those things and you follow me, you will find true life now and forever. And so no, it's not an option to say, well, didn't Jesus suffer so that I don't have to? He tells us right here that that's not the case. But the message of an American Christianity, as we've already mentioned, and the message of Jesus here regarding suffering, they don't work together, do they? <laughs> I mean, the American dream plus salvation sounds pretty good to me. That sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is saying. It's so contrary to that, to what the American dream says, right? Go get yours and live the way you want to live when you want to live, how you want to live it, the way you want to live it is just as long as you don't hurt anybody. And Jesus says all of that amounts to nothing. And so a problem arises, right? So we can try and justify this way of thinking. We do it all the time, and I think initially we do it because it's attractive. But it lends itself to a gospel not revealed in Scripture and therefore not truly transforming us in the image of Christ. And so what happens when the offering we were told to give to receive God's blessing didn't come with the healing of our family member? Did we not give enough? Or what happens when the financial aid doesn't come through? Or when the internship goes to someone else? Or when the injury means you can't play that sport anymore? Or that instrument anymore? Or go to med school anymore? Is it because God's angry with us? No, because that's not the Christianity we signed up for, right? And we'll say, <laughs> but I put the I can do all things through Christ sticker on my Stanley Cup. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, on <laughs> the Stanley Cup, yeah, if you can manage to get one. <laughs> but what happens is we're left disappointed, right? We believe that God doesn't care for us, not enough to, for our healing or fixing the situation or removing the obstacles from our life. And the reason we're left disappointed, we're left disappointed in God for not delivering on promises that he never actually made, you know. 
<laughs> and so for many of us, we can see some of the maybe more obvious ways that the Americanization of Christianity happens. Like many of us were, were likely not to buy into the more you give, the more you are monetarily blessed idea, right? And we may even be able to detect that God just wants me to be happy narrative. But there are some other ways, even more subtle, in which we fall victim to this as well. Like I mentioned, Pete Scazzaro's quote about how easy it is to follow um, Christ-centered but not cross-centered life, he suggests also that there are four big ways that this misconception about what it means to be an American Christian seep into our thinking. And they are be popular, be great, be successful, and avoid suffering and failure. So we're going to walk through each of those. So one, be popular. This isn't saying have a lot of friends, um, but it's the thought that people will judge me if they knew I was a Christian. They'll say I'm a goody two-shoes. They're going to call me judgmental and have this idea of who they think I am from the jump. So I'm not going to tell them that I'm a Christian. I'm just going to be good and hope they get the big picture. <laughs> and the problem with that is that it's seeking people's validation over our creators and when that falls short, we're left feeling unsatisfied or unseen. Or we think that a huge crowd is good at a worship service or something like this, right? Which it, is, it, it can be, for sure, when there's people who are hungry for God. But if they're coming just because they happen to like the particular style of music that's being played or because the pastor's funny or something like that, you know, then... That's not the same, right? And so Jesus, he does, he offers us acceptance and, and love, but again, it's coming at the cost of total commitment to him. And so the problem with this is that we equate numbers with effectiveness. And so when things are small, we believe we're being unfruitful. Jesus was not concerned about being popular. <laughs> he wouldn't show off when people asked him to or perform miracles at the drop of a hat when they wanted him to. He told people hard truths, even when that meant they would walk away from him. He sought only the validation from his father, not his friends, not his followers, or even his parents. The cross was not popular. <laughs> he was not elevated to status. He was lifted up and then mocked. So instead of believing being a Christian or not being a Christian will make you popular, <laughs> um, be popular with Jesus. Be well known by him. Number two, be great. In your mind, fill in this blank. I want to be a great blank, fill in the blank. <laughs> Maybe that's a great son or a great daughter. Maybe that's a great small group leader. Maybe you think my small group is the biggest, which probably means I am the best disciple. <laughs> and maybe you wouldn't say it, but maybe that's what kind of validates you, is the size of your group. And um, maybe you want to be a great teacher or a great business person, the deepest thinking psychologist. I don't know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but um, why? Why do we want these things? You know, when we really are honest and when we evaluate the motives of our heart is it so that we can be great is it for our own glory or is it for God's um, or maybe for you it's I'm 
maybe you feel great because you read your Bible every day and you know more Bible verses than anyone else in your small group and you low-key love being validated by your small group leader, or you think, at least I'm not bad, as bad as so-and-so sitting next to me in small group. Like, at least I don't do that. <laughs> but that's pride, right? That's our pride. And it's robbing God of the glory that belongs to him and accrediting ourselves with it. But Jesus was not concerned about being great in the world's eyes. He didn't come with an army, but he was born as a baby in a barn. His main followers were nobody fishermen and tax guys and political extremists. <laughs> and there were only 12 of them. <laughs> and Jesus himself, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He did not appear to be great to them. And maybe we think our greatness in the world is doing God a favor. But Jesus says that the greatest person of all is the one who is as humble as a child and who is like a servant to all. Be great with him. Number three, be successful. Maybe as the world around us says, do more, achieve more, it leaks into our faith and says that our success is basing our goodness and our righteousness off of our works. So we try to earn grace or favor with God and failure to produce makes us feel guilt or shame. One theologian says we will do absolutely everything to keep our work from failing. And when we do absolutely everything to keep our work for God from failing, we have made work our God. But Jesus invites us to find success in him, in our identity, and in becoming who he wants us to be in his way and time. And number four, last one, avoid suffering and failure. The American dream is good. It's not inherently bad. The house, the fence, the dog, they're good. A good job with a great salary and benefits is good. <laughs> Getting to travel the world is good. Following Jesus is just better. And life may or may not come with these things. But following Jesus is so much better that it's worth it even when things are not good. <laughs> or if he calls you to something hard or scary or potentially dangerous. I think about our missions team who's going to East Africa in March. Check out their thrift shop. Get this cool t-shirt. Shameless plug. Um, but I remember a couple years ago being on a Zoom call and listening to some of the missionaries who are workers there. Um, and they were talking about some these local men nicknamed the Bobs, the band of brothers, um, who had learned about Jesus and had converted to Christianity. They were so convicted that following Jesus was true and worth it, that they have endured all kinds of true suffering. Their wives have been taken away from them. They have been threatened. They've been kidnapped. They have had attempts on their lives. They have embraced Christ and his cross. 
Jesus' invitation is not to avoid suffering or failure, but to faithfully follow him wherever he's leading. I heard another global worker once say that the safest place you can be is in the center of God's will for your life, whether that leads to joy or pain, comfort or suffering and hardship. And so how do we get to this place? Marcus spoke two weeks ago that it's not about trying harder. In fact, I think a lot of our trying ends up with us focusing more on those four misconceptions in the name of Jesus, like trying to be great for Jesus' sake when we try to will ourselves to do it. But instead, he proposed training ourselves. And so what if we trained ourselves by practicing self-denial in serving others or in generosity. We practice laying down our lives each day. If you're normally the person who gets to do something great, maybe offer the opportunity to somebody else. Um, or if you normally play it safe and you don't want to do anything, maybe you take a little step and you show someone love or you do an act of kindness to another. Um, embrace those things, the hard things. That doesn't mean they're bad for you to do something difficult. And I'm not suggesting, you know, just live off two t-shirts and a pair of pants and sell everything you own, like that extremism, right? But I am saying, <laughs> maybe you don't need all those clothes. <laughs> and I'm talking to myself. When I wrote this, I was like, oh, I gotta put a bag together for this donation. Because <laughs> um, I know money, money is king but to many people, but could you sacrifice some money to give towards the team that's going as they're finishing up raising support to get there? And not tell anyone about it. <laughs> that was the second part. <laughs> so give, and then don't tell people that you gave. Just, just do it so you don't get the credit. Or could you take time to spend with a person in your small group who you don't really connect with, but who you know really needs a friend? Or... Like they mentioned, First Friday is this week. And so maybe you practice denying yourself an hour or two of extra sleep so that you can go one day a month <laughs> to serve people who really need it. What if we embraced the small inconveniences for the sake of our neighbor and of the glory of God? The practices that we're, we engage in allow us to participate in this kingdom that Jesus came in to usher in for us. We're exercising that muscle of denying ourselves something for the sake of looking more like Jesus. Jesus says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It wasn't that long ago where I was a college student pursuing a degree in public health. As many of you know, through my involvement with Chi Alpha, I began to feel called to a lifetime in campus ministry. But there were some areas of my life that I would need to give up along the way when I made this decision. I would need to choose to move away from home, something I had never done before. I would leave and be alone in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic with no friends nearby, no nearby support system other than my new team. <laughs> I, 
I would leave behind a campus that I really loved and that had done so much for me and meant so much to me. I'd move away from my mom and my friends, all of my family, this guy that I really liked that I had a complicated relationship with at the time. <laughs> it works out, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'd leave behind a normal job with normal benefits. <laughs> I'd have to let go of my family not really understanding what it is that I do and those perceptions that they have of me. And I'd still have to walk through the spiritual opposition to this calling that God had on my life and, and some really hard times. And while I was quick to say yes to God in that moment, and of course I'm grateful that I did, it didn't actually mean that taking the action step to move forward was easy. It was difficult and would require many, many moments of crucifying myself and laying down my old dreams and way for God's plan. Following Jesus is costly. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a cost to not following him. He says you can have the whole world, but a life without partnership with Jesus means nothing at best. At worst, at stake, we're at stake of losing our soul. Life without Jesus leads to death. All the jobs and the promotions and the experiences we have don't come with us beyond this earth. Even all the wonderful things that we leave behind will all pass away. But what can we leave that's eternal? Well, we have the hope of Jesus. We have the hope of the world inside of us. And we can give that, right? But are we going to represent the God revealed in scripture or some other version? What does our faith say to the non-believers or to the international students who are on our campus within our community? Is it a gospel that looks really good in America but cannot withstand potential difficulties they may face in another season of life or in another country? If the band of brothers had been discipled here, would their faith been able to withstand the persecution they endure daily? This is what we pass on to others. Jesus has come to give us life, but that life only comes through death. So the question is, will we embrace it? And so if we can have Jocelyn and Rachel come back up here as we uh, get ready to wrap up. I want to end by putting this chart up. Oh, perfect, thank you. Um, and as they play through and as they sing us through this last song. As you have your notebook <laughs> or uh, your phones out, take note of which of these do you find yourself struggling with believing an Americanized gospel versus a Christ and cross-centered one? How can we follow Jesus and be Christ and cross-centered? So yeah, make sure you have your notebook out or your phone and jot either this chart down or uh, just those words on the left-hand side. Be popular, be great, be successful, and avoid failure. Which of these have seeped in as part of your normal Christian life? Make a note 
next to it, a little check mark or something. Um, and then any, as, if you need to, take a few moments to just process that with the Lord and to offer each one up to him. Maybe say, ask for God's forgiveness and ask for his help to follow Jesus, no matter where that takes us. And then, we could put that last image up, if it's there. <laughs> Is it there? That's okay. That's all right. Then, <laughs> what we'll do is as you look at that list that's in front of you, maybe you come up with some examples in each area that resonate with you. Then we're going to think about moving from the left hand to the right hand. And perhaps in between that <laughs> is the cross, right? So focusing on the image of the cross then, um, just begin to think what would it look like if we died to each one of these things and picked up our cross to be with Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do, is just take time, think through those examples, and just in your own time, just process them, offer each one up to the Lord. Maybe he speaks something to you about one of them. Um, and then just as we, again, just focus on Christ and focus on the cross, be honest about maybe what's scary about surrendering those things or what's scary about picking up your cross and the weightiness, weigh, weigh the cost. And then we'll wrap up. We'll take a couple minutes to do that.